We are still in Genesis chapter 40, and we're going to overlap with something that we covered last week, but we're going to look at, at several different points now about the same thing, but several different points on the matter. So we're going to start reading from, uh, from verse, verse 7 of Genesis chapter 40, and putting this in context, Joseph has been wrongly put in jail, and he is now to take care of two officials from from Pharaoh's court, two officials from Pharaoh's court, and um, in doing that, he is he's 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 starting to care for them. Um, okay, so it says it says uh, in verse seven. He has asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches, and it was budding. Its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And he you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you and please do me kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon." When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head, and on the top basket there were some sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket. Then Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker, his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, but he put the, and, and he put the cup into the Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So you see, he is now functioning in his gift, and he's really good at it. And as soon as he hears this opportunity in verse 8 to function in his gift, he says, do not interpretations belong to God? So he realized that everything he had that was, was good in this way comes from God. God is the one who gives this. Secondly, He says, tell it to me, please. He's anxious to use his gift. He anxiously uses his gift to serve the Lord. So the chief cupbearer tells him it's dream. And he says, says, uh, uh, there was a vine 
that had three branches in verse 10. And, and then we see the number three repeated over and over again. So there were three branches and it was budding, blossoming, and clusters were coming out. So all three phases, there were three. And then in verse 11, Pharaoh is mentioned three times. Pharaoh's cup, Pharaoh's cup, and Pharaoh's hand. And then also he did three things. He says, I took, I squeezed, and I put. So again, the threes are underscored there. And so when Joseph hears this, then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. So he keys in on this number three, and he says that there's something important here. And you see how he effortlessly uses his gift. When you have a gift and you're good at something that God has blessed you with, it's, it's, it's like it's effortless. It's effortless in your work. There's a, there's a verse, an interesting verse in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And, and, uh, it's interesting. It doesn't say, do you see a man skilled? It says, do you see a man skilled in his work? Very often, your gift can be coupled to your line of work. Your gift can be coupled to your line of work. So some people are really good in a boardroom. They're really good when they serve on boards and they're gifted at it. And they ought to do it and they ought to keep doing it. And it says that they will stand before kings, not just obscure men. And that's exactly what's going to be done eventually with Joseph, but not yet. And, and, uh, um, and we know that at this time, Joseph is 28 years old. We know he's 28 because the Bible tells us in the next chapter that it were two full years after this event that he appeared to Pharaoh and he appeared to Pharaoh at the age of 30. So he's 28. So he's been kidnapped since the age of 17. So for 11 years, he's been out of his land. He served some time in Potiphar's house and now some time in, in the prison and he's 28 years old. And, and, uh, you see, you see that, uh, um, in verse 12, then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. There's this enormous confidence in his gift. He was very good at it and he knew it. And when we have a gift, we can't shirk around and, well, you know, I'm not very good at that. If you're good at it, you serve in that way. Don't have a false humility. Just go ahead and serve in that way. Verse 13. He says, within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you will put the, he will put the cup into your hand. And so you, you see that he, you see that in verse 14, then he appeals. He says, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you and please do me this kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For in fact, I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing that should have put me in this dungeon. So he's in this dungeon, in this prison, and he appeals to the legal system. He says, mention me to Pharaoh. He is appealing to the legal system. And that's something actually that, that Paul did as well. When Paul was, was brought up on certain things in Acts chapter 25, in Acts chapter 25, in, in, uh, in verse 11 of Acts chapter 25, when he's brought before Festus, um, uh, he says, if then I am a wrongdoer, in Acts chapter 25, verse 11, if, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true, of which these men accuse me, 
No one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. So he knew things were not going in his direction. So being a Roman citizen, he could ultimately appeal to Caesar. It's a scary thing to come before Caesar and take his time. Nonetheless, he used the legal system. Again, in, in, uh, in chapter 26 of the book of Acts, he appears before King Agrippa and he gives an entire defense before King Agrippa. He used the legal system to his defense. There is nothing wrong with that. And this is exactly what Joseph is doing here. He says, I'm appeal, bring this, bring my case before Pharaoh. And he goes ahead and he does that. And he, he, he says, bring it before Pharaoh. Something else I want to key in on here. So as, as you read on down, and in, in, we're going to come back to verses 14 and 15 in a minute. But in verse 16, it says, When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, only when the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably did he want to hear what God had to say because he had already established, he had already established back up in verse 8, that interpretations belong to God. This is God that's giving you this interpretation. The interpretation belongs to God. And only when the chief baker thought that the interpretation, saw that the interpretation for the cupbearer was good, did he want to hear that. Only when he thought it was going to go well for him did he want it to hear, hear from God. He didn't want to hear from God when he thought it might not go well for him. And then Joseph told him the interpretation. He said, I had these baskets on my head and the birds in verse 17 came in eating, with, eating them. Whenever birds are involved, it's generally not good. It's generally not good. When Jesus was giving a parable about seeds thrown by the way, he says, sometimes birds come and eat them up. And then when he was giving the interpretation of the dream, of, of the, uh, of the parable, he said, that is the enemy coming and eating them up. Whenever birds are involved, it, it never seems to be a good outcome. And so he gives him, he tells him the direct truth. He says in, in verse, in verse uh, 19, within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and you will hang on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. He spoke to him the direct truth. He didn't try to cover this thing over with niceties. He spoke the direct truth to him as God had given him. He spoke this direct truth. And he says in three days, in three days, all of this is going to happen to you. You know, we have a beautiful thing in the Lord. We have a beautiful thing in the Lord that we can repent of our sins and we can deal with these issues. We can deal with this. And we tell people about the things of Jesus and we have this feeling, well, you know, if, it were, if, if these penalties were going to come upon me soon, then, then I would act. He says, this is going to come upon you in three days. When we speak the truth of the gospel to people, when we speak these truths, we never know if these things are going to come upon them in three days or three years or three decades. We don't know, but the truths will eventually come upon them. And these truths are there. So for example, for example, as it, as it says uh, in, in the scriptures concerning these sorts of things, it says, for example, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, there are warnings to the unbelievers. There are warnings, specific warnings. And when I share my testimony with people and I see them not coming to the Lord, I move into this mode. If, if, if the niceties and the friendship and the kindness of God doesn't work, I move into this mode. And I tell them what to expect. So, for example, I read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That is what the scriptures say. I didn't say it. The scriptures said it. You got a problem with this? You're going to have to bring it to the author of this book. That's not me. All right? This is what he said. These these tendencies in a person's life will keep them out of the kingdom of God. He says in verse 11, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Every one of us has come out of one of these things. Every one of us. And it says that we were washed, that we were cleansed. There are fearful things if we, if we mess around with the things of God. Again, I'll turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Verse 8, but for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and lie and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You want a definition of who's going to go into this fire of brimstone, the fire of hell? It says it right here. If you're cowardly, if you're afraid to come to the Lord, if you're unbelieving, if you don't believe in him, because the scriptures command us to believe on him. In, in uh, 1 John 3, verse 23, it says, This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. It says, abominable, murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. I was once sharing with a man. I read that first list out of 1 Corinthians, and he said, well, those people ought to go to hell. You know, he, he didn't see himself anywhere in that list. <clears throat> then I brought him over to Revelation and I said, it says all lies. I said, have you ever told a lie? He says, well, no, not a big lie. I said, well, right there it says all liars. It doesn't just say big liars are going in that fire. It says all liars. If you've told a lie, you're going in the fire. Every one of us stands condemned. And the Lord Jesus provides a way of escape for us. It's all in the Lord Jesus. He provides a way of escape. But without this, this is the firm word. This is the strong word. I mean, and, and should we dance around this? Should we never read these verses? The scriptures are clear. The scriptures tell us this. Joseph didn't dance around this thing. He said, you're going to hang on a tree in three days. We don't know the date that this is going to come upon you. But as soon as you die, you'll be there. You're going to be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Brimstone is sulfur. Brimstone is sulfur. So this is a burning sulfur fire. It is scary. A sulfur fire is scary. Uh, you can look on the internet, a sulfur fire. It's a very interesting type of fire. It just moves across molten sulfur. That's what it's going to be. And this is what, what confronts us. This is what awaits us. And so he spoke the direct truth. And then in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 40, Chapter 40, verse 20, it says, Pharaoh's having a birthday. So Pharaoh has a birthday, and, and uh, on this birthday, he brings back the chief cupbearer, and he puts the cup, he's, he's able to, to be reinstated, and just as Joseph had interpreted, the, the chief baker was hanged. This is on Pharaoh's birthday. Aren't you glad we have a king that's not King Pharaoh, but King Jesus? I mean, King Pharaoh has a birthday and he's hanging men on trees. We serve a blessed king. Why anybody would want to refrain from coming to Jesus, I don't know. He is so good and so kind in every way. He is gracious in every respect. He bids us. He bids us come to him. He says, come to me. You know, you know he, he, doesn't, 
He doesn't just, just sit back and wait for us to cry out to Him. He even reaches down. And when we cry out, He hears us. He responds to our appeals. He responds to our appeals. But even that, He bids us to come. Jesus bids us to come. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus says, come to me. This is the king whom we serve. This is the king whom we want to introduce to you, that Jesus embodies kindness and goodness. And not only that, he pursues us, and then he demonstrates his love to us by dying for us. That's the king whom we serve. We don't serve a capricious king that hangs people on a tree in his, in, in, on his birthday. I mean, Jesus is kind and gracious in every way. I urge you to come to him this day. Or else, what awaits you? I don't know if it's in three days. It might be in one day. I don't know when it's going to happen. What awaits you is fire and brimstone. The second death, that's the, the first death will be your physical body. The second death will be thrown into hell. Come to him. Come to Jesus. He is kind and gracious in every way. And then it says, it says that in chapter, in verse 22 of, of chapter 40 of Genesis, it says, just as Joseph had interpreted, his gift was underscored. His, his authenticity as a prophet was underscored. It happened just as he said, just as he said. And so I want to I want to look back now at a couple of verses here. Let's turn back to chapter 40, verse 14. He says, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh. When I studied this, I was like, what are you talking about, Joseph? Now, remember, we can never second guess Joseph. This guy was amazing. Absolutely amazing. There's no recorded outright sin by Joseph. Now, that's not to say that he never sinned, but there's nothing really recorded about it. He's kind of like with Daniel. I mean, these two guys are just amazing. Joseph was amazing that at the age of 17, he was able to rise to what he did after being kidnapped at the age of 17 and being enslaved and then imprisoned. What is Joseph up to? He is extremely shrewd. When his family ends up coming into, coming into Egypt, he gets them the very best land in the Nile Delta. I mean, the, the plushest land he gets them. He is extremely shrewd and in a good way, in a good way. <clears throat> What's he doing saying appeal to Pharaoh? How dare you appeal to Pharaoh? What chutzpah to do such a thing? Who does he think he is? A slave who's in prison appealing to Pharaoh. And remember, Pharaoh's a pretty capricious guy. On his birthday, he hangs people on trees. Why would Pharaoh even be interested in him? That you should mention, mention that there's a, there's a slave in the jail who feels like he was put there improperly. And he wanted me to mention his situation to you. Pharaoh would be like, What? What are you talking about, cupbearer? How about I just send you back into the jail? I mean, don't even bother me with such a thing. Why would he appeal to Pharaoh? Why not appeal to some other minister, uh, cupbearer? When you when you go back into the cabinet there, 
uh, why don't you refer me to the head of all prison, the prison system? Refer me to uh, uh, the chief justice or somebody. Why to Pharaoh? Pharaoh's too high. This is crazy to appeal to Pharaoh. What's he up to here? Well, then he says in the next verse, he says, uh, for I was in fact kidnapped. <clears throat> all right, well, what does Pharaoh care if you're kidnapped? Why should he care? Probably lots of people were kidnapped and thrown into slavery. From the land of the Hebrews. Why would he mention the land of the Hebrews? Why would he mention that? Remember the disdain when Potiphar's wife spoke of the Hebrew in, in chapter 39, verse 14 of Genesis. She called to the men of the house and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. She spoke of him with disdain. If you look in, in chapter 43 of Genesis, in chapter 43 of Genesis, it speaks again of, of what they thought of the Hebrews in chapter 43, verse 32. Chapter 43, verse 32 of Genesis. So they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. They could not even eat bread in the presence of Hebrews. Even Joseph, they couldn't eat in his presence. And at that time, he was second only to Pharaoh. It would be like trying to eat eat your meal with, with a few snakes crawling around on the table. You'd be like, I, I just can't, I can't do this. It's too disgusting to me. Why would he mention to the cupbearer, mention to Pharaoh that I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. I mean, wouldn't Pharaoh recoil? Like, why do I care about a Hebrew? And who were the Hebrews? What, who, I mean, why should he even care? Why does he even know about the Hebrews? Remember, when, when Jacob eventually comes into Egypt at Joseph's invitation, he comes in with 75 people. 75 people come in with him. How do we know that? We know that from Acts Chapter 7, verse 14. Acts chapter 7, verse 14. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. So 75 Hebrews came out of the land of Canaan or the land of the Hebrews and in. There were only 75, and that's 11 years after this event. Because remember, he's two more years in prison, then seven more years of plenty in, 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 uh, in, in the land of Egypt, then two more years of famine before he's ever going to be called up, call up uh, 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 Jacob to come in. So you've got 75 people 11 years later. So it's probably 50 people at this point. At this point in history, the Hebrew nation is about 50 people. Because remember, he had, he had uh, uh, 12 sons, lots of them bearing children. And so probably another... 25 or so are going to be born in the, in the next 11 years. So there's maybe 50 of them. What? How do they even know about the Hebrews? How do they even know? There's only 50 of them in the whole nation. Well, there's something about the Jews. They have a footprint. The Hebrews have a footprint much larger than they deserve. Much larger. And it's always been. And it probably always will be. Let me put it in the context of today. In the context of today. So the Nobel Prize started in about 1905. Since the Nobel Prize, Prizes started in the early 1900s, there's been 900 Nobel Prizes given. 
So for each field, you can give up to three Nobel Prizes. And uh, uh, there was one violation of that when they gave it to the committee on the, 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 the Climate Change Committee. But there's been about 900 Nobel Prizes given. 20% of Nobel Prizes have gone to Jews. 20%. And you say, well, there must be Jews on the committee. There are none. This is in Stockholm. This is not a Jewish committee. 20% have been given to the Jews. The world population of Jews is 0.2%. 0.2% of, of the world population is Jews. 20% of them receive Nobel Prizes. So you have two orders of magnitude, higher footprint than what they deserve. Something's going on. 50 people. And he's speaking of them. Why would he bring up the Hebrews? Let me tell you what I think. Again, this is all speculation. But he's a clever guy. So turn, to, turn back to, to uh, uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. The Pharaoh who is the Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 12 is probably the grandfather of the current Pharaoh when, when, when Joseph is in prison. Maybe the great-grandfather, but maybe probably around the grandfather. In chapter 12, verse 17. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this, this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now here's your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. All right, so Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham, Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham, met with the grandfather or great-grandfather of the current Pharaoh. And that great-grandfather, the, the, the Pharaoh at the time of Abram, got really scared because God spoke to him and said, this man, this woman is another man's wife. And he confronts Abram and he says, why didn't you tell me? <clears throat> and, and so God had struck the household of Pharaoh. We don't know how he struck them. We don't know what he struck them with. It's a, it's a, it says that uh, he struck them with great plagues. Verse 17, he struck them with great plagues. Jewish literature says he struck them with plagues in their genitals. We don't know. But it's, he struck them with great plagues. And, and uh, um, uh, uh, so, so he struck them with, with great plagues. And, and so this is, this is coming upon, upon them. And he remembers this. And then he says, look, you just go. And he, he warns his, his, uh, his, his officials, he commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away. He's telling his men, have nothing to do with this guy. Don't mess with the Hebrews. Was Abram called the Hebrew around that time? The answer is yes. So, for example, in, in uh, chapter 14 of the book of Genesis, <clears throat> chapter 14, verse 13, it says, Then a fugitive came and told Abram, the Hebrew. Yes, he was referred to as a Hebrew even in that time. They would keep history among the pharaohs. It may well be that this pharaoh in the time of Joseph had known of the Hebrews. That's why he's calling upon him and saying, tell him 
I'm a Hebrew. Tell him I was kidnapped from among the Hebrews. Again, this is speculation. I don't know. But it is odd that he would, first of all, call upon Pharaoh. He's too high for him to be calling upon. Too capricious of a king. Why would he even care? Secondly, why would he mention that he's a Hebrew? Maybe because he wanted him to know. Remember that history lesson you had about your grandfather or your great-grandfather where it was, don't mess with the Hebrews? Don't mess with the Hebrews. Even though they're a small little group, there are only 50 people on earth. Remember, they only owned a little grave plot and the field next to the grave, grave plot outside of Hebron. That's all they owned within the land of Canaan. And they had rights to Shechem by, by, by uh, uh, right, 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 right of conquest. They didn't have, you know, 50 million people or even 5,000 people. There were 50 people. It is amazing what God has done. This guy is very clever. He's appealing to him. He's appealing to him as a Hebrew. And he says, remember, remember this. This is important. Remember, you've got a Hebrew in your jail. Remember what happened to your grandfather when he messed with the Hebrews. That may well be why he would do this. It's really odd. But remember the message. We have a great king in Jesus. We can call out to him and appeal to him. When we are wrongly treated, we can cry out to him and he intercedes. And no matter where you are, even if you have rejected him in the past, I urge you to come to Jesus. You know, you know, there was a, there was a slave, there was a slave on the cross that appeals to Jesus and Jesus answers him. This, there was a, there, there was, I, I mean, there was a criminal on the cross that is appealing to Jesus and Jesus goes ahead and he answers him. Jesus answers him and he says, you are going to be with me in my kingdom this day. You're going to be with me in my kingdom this day. He speaks to him in this way. You can appeal to Jesus. Don't wait. Don't be like this, this, uh, um, this baker. This baker hears this word. Don't be the, and say, well, this will never happen to me. It will happen to you. Tragedy awaits you if you do not come to Jesus. Come to this king. He is so good and so gracious. The Bible says he has given himself. Jesus died for the ungodly. You may think yourself not godly enough. Jesus died for the ungodly. Jesus is the one who died for the ungodly. Jesus said, his Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were good. If we're good, he didn't die for us. He died for us in the state in which we were in as sinners. He died for us. Then he takes us and he washes us clean and we fall again and he picks us up and we fall again and he picks us up over and over again. That's the life of walking with Jesus. He continues to pick us up, brush us off and say, you're good. Go ahead. Keep going. And we continue to rely on him. God is so good and so gracious. I urge you to come to him today. He is not a capricious king. He is not an evil king. But do not wait or you will experience the second death where you will be totally separated from this king totally separated from Jesus and you won't hear this gospel call anymore. There will come a day when you will not hear this gospel call again because for you, it will be unavailing. It will be unavailing. If you continue to reject this word over and over again, for you, it will be unavailing. Don't reject this word. 
Jesus is so good and so kind. And if you know him, I urge you, learn to appeal to him. Learn to speak to him where he will stand by your side in the prisons. He will stand by your side when you're wrongly abused. He will stand by your side when you're forgotten. He will stand by your side when you're wrongly passed over. He will stand by your side when you are wronged at work, when you are wronged in, 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 in your workplace, when you're wronged in life. He will stand at your side. He knows what, what we're about and he says, come to me, come to me. He doesn't say, come to me, all you who are strong. No, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, you will find rest for your souls. I urge you to come to Jesus. And if you're a believer and you just started piling up stuff on yourself, I urge you to learn how to just throw that stuff off and lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I can't carry this burden anymore. This thing going on with my life, I can't carry this anymore. I take this and I put this at the foot of the cross and I take your yoke upon me because your yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn how to put these things off and refer it to the Lord. Turn it over to the Lord Jesus. He is good and kind and righteous in every way. If there is anything good, anything holy, anything righteous, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things and it is embodied in my Lord Jesus Christ. Everything good is in Jesus. And he is there. And he lives. The Bible says Jesus lives in Hebrews chapter 7. Jesus lives to make intercession on our behalf. That's why he lives. He lives to make intercession on our behalf. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. You are good and righteous and holy in every way. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. And Lord, if there be unbelievers on this call, I pray that this very day they would be praying with me. They would pray this very prayer. Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe that he has risen from the dead. And Lord, I pray for the believers who are here, that you would draw them closer to Jesus, that they would learn that this King Jesus, this King whom we have, is so kind and so good, and he pursues us. He hears our cry, but he also reaches out to us over and over again. He reaches out to us, that they would learn to love you more, because in you is just pure love coming forth from you toward your children. Everything good is embodied in Jesus, our Lord. Lord, I pray that they would learn to love you more, that they would love you more. And Lord, I commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.